0: Hello?
1: Hi, it's Robert. Do you want to be on the show?
0: Never call me again.
1: Hello, welcome. My name is Robert, and this is Never Call Me Again. Fatima Oliver is the author of The Prescription is in the Dirt. It's a book about self-discovery and acceptance by challenging insecurity, anxiety, and depression from childhood trauma, heartbreak, and physical abuse. Fatima is not just a survivor, but a conqueror. Let's give her a call.
0: This is Fatima.
1: Good morning, Fatima. How are you?
0: Good morning. I'm doing fine.
1: Wonderful. Welcome to the show.
0: Thank
1: you. I'm so excited. <laughs> well, I'm excited to have you <laughs> Been here. I... Too, though. No, no, don't <laughs> be nervous. There's no reason. You know, I when I started this, I, I so I'm an introvert. It was really difficult to to take this risk and and, and face this, but that's really kind of what yeah. you're really good at is you know, having a situation that just is incredibly out of control and and, and kind of slowly taking taking charge of that and, and reinventing yourself and i think that's one of the things that makes you so interesting and so why don't you you introduce yourself to the listeners i i think they would love to meet you
0: well, absolutely so i'm Fatima, i'm born and raised in las vegas nevada not on the strip we do not live in hotels <laughs> Um so I I didn't grow up in the in the nicer part of towns, unfortunately. I had a hard life like many people have experienced um growing up in a single uh, family home in a underprivileged um neighborhood, um, with all boys. Um, it definitely was an atmosphere that um gave to um a sheltering, but um when I say that I mean more so sheltering from Affection and, and shelter from um, validation, finding that to able to find value and confidence those things definitely did not come easy. I, I would say that if anything, they let um, built a platform for me to be able to make some horrible decisions in my life um, as a young adult and honestly all the way up into my 40s, I would just say um, that there were some behavioral things that um, habits that I had picked up along the way, um, insecurity, um, barely any type of self worth, um, and 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 basically kind of like a woe is me type of attitude that I carried like a backpack wherever I went. <clears throat> and um, it took um, a long time to get to a place where um, I'm able to be talking to you today. Definitely some baby steps. Um, But, but yeah, just like many people, I've gone through some traumatic experiences. Um, I have been, or I I should say I have experienced um, physical abuse, sexual, emotional, mental abuse. Um, I am a survivor of a burn accident where I was burned on 25% of my body, uh, primarily my legs and feet. I lost a brother. I've lost a brother. Um, I've lost a child. I have been neglected by a parent, and um, I've definitely struggled um, with anxiety and depression. And, But I will say that I have also experienced grace. Some people have been so kind to me. There have been some people that stand out in my life that if they wouldn't have come alongside me to help carry me and lift me up, I don't think I would be here. And I've also experienced some tremendous friendships and God's favor and love, so I definitely believe that redemption is possible. Um, I definitely lived it. Um, But it all comes down to choices.
1: How does it feel knowing that all of the things you've gone through, and and so one of the things that that, that stuck out to me in what you were saying was that, you know, there were these people that came along throughout your life Mm -hmm. and and showed that kindness and that love and that acceptance. And, you know, you you now... um, are doing exactly the same thing through your book and, 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 and through this conversation. This conversation will be heard by so many people who, you know, through one situation or another um, have experienced, um, you know, sometimes it, and it may even be things very specific to what you've experienced and it, and it may be things that are completely unrelated to your experiences, but they, they just have that, that feeling that you felt um, as a child, as a young adult, um, into, you know, all the way into your forties. And so I did not know that you were, I didn't know you were in your forties. I I actually thought you were younger. (laughs) You you look a lot younger. And so, you know, um, age age has been kind to you, you know, life maybe not necessarily, but, but the aging process has, has definitely been in your favor. And so I guess my question is, um, You've and so you've had you've had a, a really rough experience in life. Um, do you mind telling us kind of how you felt? I mean, when 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 you were you know at some point you 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 had to have been sitting there, um, yeah. thinking and processing all of these things, and, and how did you feel? Yeah.
0: Well, and and I would say that um, every stage there was different feelings. Um, it, it, it takes, um, I think, going through a lot to be able to get into this mindset, even when you're working out in the beginning, you're feeling like, oh, my God, I can never do this. But if, as you get doing it more and more and more, you begin to get your own kind of models. And so in every experience, there was a, there was quite a, a lot of, I don't think I can make it through this. I don't understand why this is happening to me. I'm a good person. Why do all these bad things? Why do I be false Why do I always become the victim? Um, why do people always want to be bad things to me. So I definitely lived that that stage, that cycle for so long and um and I'm definitely human, so there are moments when my mind still wants to go there when um horrible things begin to befall me, but it's just um now I have um some tools that I can lean on. But but back then, absolutely as a child, when I was um, encountering abuse or um, even um, sexual abuse through um, a, a relative, um, I didn't know what to think because the reality was my life was conditioned in a place to where there wasn't much ability to kind of process. It was this is life. And if anything, I feel like I learned how to survive life. And I've carried those survival instincts throughout my entire life. Um, But I never learned how to process the emotional part of whatever this event was. And that's the downside is that I definitely definitely know that I can survive much of anything. But um, being able to tap into my emotions of how um, those different scenarios um, scarred me or damaged me or made me a broken person in some areas of my life, I didn't have the tools to deal with that. And unfortunately... It showed itself in the different people, men that I picked to to date, um, the the way that I handled just general friendships and and um and even work work life. So um, those emotional scars or traumatic scars, they tend to affect every part of your life. So in the beginning, I didn't know how to accepted or process it. I didn't. I just said, okay, I got through that. Let's move on to the next thing. And that was kind of my motto. As I, as I began to age and realize that my behavior, um, being um, defensive, being guarded, um, ready to just scratch your eyes out if I felt like I was backed in a corner and just take you down with me, um, and not uh, being afraid to say I'm afraid or being afraid to share that um, I don't know how to do this, and um th- those were definitely hang ups that I had, and I had to learn it took for it seemed like forever, but I had to learn that help begins with humility, and I had to learn to um humble myself and understand that my way of living just wasn't working, but up until I got to that place where I would say it was a form of rock bottom. I I didn't know how to cope. I did the best I could with what I had, which I believe a lot of people do. They don't stop to process what they just went through. They just survived it.
1: You know, I, and so vulnerability really stuck out in what you said. And, um, you know, there's, there's absolutely no one, um, that will ever listen to this podcast, um, this episode that will you know, that can say they have not felt vulnerable at one point in their life. And it was really interesting mm-hmm. because, you know, you, you kind of, you took me back for a minute. And, and you know, and the thing is that, you know, we, we all had a childhood. We've all had, you know, one occurrence or another um, that has affected us mm-hmm. in some way and, and really kind of has, you know, defined who we are, who we've become, um, how we, how we, how we greet things. And, and, and so it, it almost sounds like, you know, your, your inability, your, your fear of being vulnerable really flavored the way you, you interacted with people, with life, with opportunity, with everything that you did.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, I've heard the saying recently, um, and I pray that I don't raise my, my, my voice this way. Um, But um, I heard the saying that we love our boys, but we raise our girls. I know that um, as a single parent, my mom was a single parent, um, you know, it was there was no room for emotion. Um, There was no room for sitting and wallowing and crying. So in my mindset, having that culture around me every single day of my life. By the time I was out on my own and I was experiencing different situations, whether they were petty situations, minute situations, or molehills, I always treated them the same way. And it was toughen up, to Fatima. You can handle this. What are you crying for? And I could hear that in my head, like being replayed by my mom or or other uh, relatives that was around me. It was our culture that. We just didn't take time to do that. There was no time for crying, and it was almost as if if you did show emotion, you were weak. So I equated emotion to weakness, not anger, not a certain type of emotions. I just say that I equated um, vulnerability and and sadness and uh, fear as weakness, and anger and passion, usually passion is just another way to say anger, <laughs> but, um, anger or outrageousness or, um, yeah, or fierceness, that was strength. And so, um, I, I really, um, had to get to a place to, um, re adjust like, to adjust that mindset and, um, reshape that thinking around expressing emotions. Um, and like I said, I really didn't, um, get to a place where I was courageous enough or brave enough to even admit that my emotional triggers were all over the place, but it was broken until I was in my mid, uh, i say my mid 40s. And I I actually needed tools and resources, meaning um, documentation, articles, a therapist to sit with me and help me to understand that my thinking was wrong. And so my anxiety, all this anxiety that I would feel almost every day where I felt like I was, um, if you say a stove, I feel like I was on simmer all the time. And so if anything happened, I would either just go straight to 10, um, whatever emotion, I would just go straight to 10 because I was always sitting on simmer because of all of this boiled emotion that was sitting inside of me that I never allowed to come out. And when I could not hold that top on that, on that pot any longer, it would just come out over the craziest things. And so, um... I could be at a drive thru and didn't get all my fries, and I'm just, blah, 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 <laughs> freaking out. And the person's like, oh my gosh, he's tripping out of a french fries. But it's all that emotion that's just coming out, and it didn't have a chance and opportunity to ever be expressed. And so it's a very, very um, scary place to live, living in that way.
1: Well, I want all of my fries when I go through the drive thru. Yeah. <laughs> I know I, I really do. I want all my fries. But here's the thing. And so, listening to you, you know, I, I, I so I get the, this is the sense that I get is that, so, so these situations, you know, made you feel incredibly vulnerable. And, and so to, to fight that feeling of vulnerability and, and to, to kind of combat and answer you know, um, being treated like you, you were a victim and and you were vulnerable and, and kind of like you were prey is that, you know, you, you reacted with, with anger and with, you know, if I am, if I am bigger than life and larger than the problem and unwilling to, to break and, and succumb to it, I, I become less of a, of a, an object of prey and, but what it sounds like is, is as you grew, as you, as you got older, as you had new and different experiences, were able to process and get some therapy, you, yeah. you, you, you eventually found, um, comfort and vulnerability. You, you allowed yourself to be vulnerable enough to do the therapy, to write yeah. a book to, which we will yeah. talk about in a minute. And vulnerable enough to be here and say, this is who I am. And so this is, that really I think is, is a huge, huge accomplishment to, to have such a devastating life, fight vulnerability this entire time, and then at the end embrace it and say, you know, it's absolutely okay to, to have, have lived this way and had these experiences and grow from it and, and embrace something You know, um, I think that's an amazing message. And if that's the message that you're, you're, you're teaching your children, I, I think you're probably going to do an amazing job. And so your book, um, the prescription is in the dirt. It's available on Amazon. And so, you know, I want, I want, don't start going to Amazon, everybody, just hold on a minute. I'll put the, I'll put the link in the show note because I want you to go buy the book. I want you to read it, um, And so you're going to, you're going to read a a couple of excerpts for us today.
0: Yes, I will. Um, What I want to say before I start is that you make, um, I really appreciate what you stated over my life. I appreciate that you receive it in that way. I must confess though, that I didn't do it alone, that I had to have um, uh, like a support system. I think that no one is meant to do life alone. I'm a Christian, so for me, I relate to Jesus. And he didn't even do life alone, and he could. <laughs> and he had a community. So nobody is meant to do life alone. And so that's when you when you walk alone, and you internalize every everything, and you shut yourself off, that's when the enemy, your mind, you become a stranger to yourself. It's like you're dealing with a crazy person, and the crazy person is you. And And I'm so grateful to have, along the way, been able to pick up some some, um, awesome support systems through girlfriends and um, play brothers (laughs) Um, and play moms that when I was at a place where I needed to fall, I call it a safe place to fall or um, Carolyn Leaf. I love how she calls it. It, It's a a place where you can freak out in the love zone. I had people around me who took me just as I was. And honestly, was able to say, Fatima, I think that it's time for you to go and speak to somebody, and for me to be able to have already built a support with them and built um, trust with them, so that when they came to me and we were dialoguing, I could hear what they said and not took and not take it defensively. And so, um, but but it starts with having those um, good people around you that support you, not not uh, and who are willing to tell you the truth and the truth and love. And, and that could mean, like like I was told, you, you may need to go talk to somebody because we're trying to support you, but we can't support you. We can't support you to a certain level. And and being able to have that support system, I think that's a critical piece in any type of healing, that, um, in a healing journey that you're on. Um, But the, yeah, so um, you gave me the opportunity to be able to share an excerpt. And, and what I'll read from right now is um, a piece from chapter three And um, I named it Scarred for Life. And so it begins with, um, I never understood why I had to be the one with the burned legs and feet. Growing up, my one and two degree scars seemed to be an eyesore for all who interacted with me. I will never forget a cousin telling me I was ugly because of my burns. Of course, they may not have really meant it. Um, They may not have meant anything by it, but it cut like a knife to hear. This sentiment was echoed by adults through the request to bring socks to cover my feet when I visited. These types of consistencies gave me a lasting infamy over what I looked like. The only place I felt true acceptance was at home. My mother, she would look at me and share how beautiful I was, regardless of the way my feet looked. When my feet would go up a size, the skin graft over my legs and feet would stretch, bringing an incredible ache. My mother would serve as my nurse, rubbing my legs and feet until the throbbing settled, determined for me to feel comfortable in my own skin. I would be forced to wear shorts and bathing suits and jelly shoes like the other kids. I am convinced that if she had known about the challenges I faced when I left the house, to cussed those folks out. She wanted me to feel I was like everyone else so badly, but it is near impossible for a child to accept their normalcy when they have lived their entire life being different. Occasionally, I would try to recall the events of the day that led me to being burnt across a quarter of my body. I would close my eyes firmly, cogitating to break through the memories I had been powerless to unseal. But no matter how determined, my retention would faithfully betray me. So I reside with a story told to me by family members from since I can remember. And you got to get the book to know more. <laughs>
1: absolutely, absolutely. You know it. Um, I think it's. I think it's really easy sometimes for people to to look at someone and, and judge and and see that that there the there are these differences and and so you get this preconceived notion of how you can treat them or who they are um and and you assign a definition of this individual in your mind and um you know that can be incredibly cruel it can it can be incredibly limiting um for someone to for someone else to determine who you are or how you can be treated, I, I think is, is incredibly unkind. Um, yeah. you mentioned, and so before you read the excerpt, you, um, you talked about, you know, friends being, you know, a support system and, and, and you're right, you know, yeah. absolutely. If I know if I'm your friend and I see some, you know, I see some behavior that's out of hand or, or maybe there's something that you need that I can't give you or, or you're just not being re- receptive. You know, as a friend, I will absolutely tell you about yourself because sometimes you just need to be told about yourself and you need, you know, mm-hmm. you need to, to go to, to wherever it is to get that help. And, and, you know, sometimes behavior just needs to be checked. And so when you were talking about that support system you have, um, it made me think earlier we were, we were talking and you mentioned, um, tools that you, that you rely on today. And, and so what other tools do you rely on?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I definitely have had my friends, but I would even say to that, that outside of them, I had to get some type of courage to, um, go and sit on a couch and talk to a therapist. And so for me, it was important to find someone who. I wouldn't feel uncomfortable with sharing my faith with, and so um, I was able to find someone that that suited my needs there, and um, I'm so incredibly thankful for that person in my life. Um, I've continued to see them, and in the beginning, I was so shameful of going to therapy because um, just with my upbringing, we don't do that. (laughs) <laughs> so so for me to confess that I was going to go speak with somebody was a huge deal, and I kept it a secret for a long time until I started to feel kind of free um and realized that it was such a help for me and and now I tell the world. but additionally, with that, um I also um I, I really had to um as far as tools, I really had to discipline, rediscipline or or, or even bring more discipline into my thought life. So I I had to learn to unbusy myself enough to listen to what my heart was trying to say. And if I were to go even a little deeper, I tried to go past what my heart was feeling and even reach make contact with my soul to see what was really going on with me and to accept the fact that my self-management skills sucked. Basically, (laughs) Um, I had to take my thoughts captive. And that was a very difficult thing to do because a lot of times, um, at least for myself, dealing with anxiety and depression, my thoughts are the things that I want to shut off so badly. They get so loud that sometimes I could see myself suffocating myself because I just wanted to stop. And so I had to learn how to take any negative thought captive as soon as it came into my head. And in order to do that, I leaned on things like books. Um, I brought up Carolyn Lee earlier. She studies the mind and the brain and the connection between the two. I started listening to um, how she spoke on the subconscious feeding the conscious. And um, I listened to, I read a book um, from an author named John Bishop, who literally wrote a book that says, "Um, stop doing that, sleep. (laughs) But he also talks about the brain and how subconsciously we take in are the things that have been told to us like a fund, and it just stays there. It never goes away. And how we have to um, make a concerted, aggressive effort that when those negative thoughts come into our mind, to shut them down and prison imprison those thoughts instead of allowing those thoughts to imprison us um, you know, going forward. But I also joined this group called um, a program, I should say, called Celebrate Recovery, and it's similar to a narcotic, um, a, a Narcotics Anonymous or Alcoholics Anonymous. Celebrate Recovery has a 12-step program, but it's based on biblical practices, and it goes, um, it goes in hard and makes you um, deal with those hang-ups and hurts that still rile you up when you think about it and force you to combat your behavior. So I did a multiple of things. I didn't just stop at one thing. I, I prayed and I had to make a decision that my victim mindset was going to change and that I was not I was going to stop singing the song, why does all this stuff, bad stuff happen to me, and that I was going to change the trajectory of my life. And in order to do that, I had to become more disciplined in these areas.
1: Exactly. You know, um, I, I think fortunately... You know the the stigma stigma of therapy. You know, and, and so in the last twenty years, it has definitely changed. It it has become almost you know it's become almost the end thing to 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 go to therapy. I mean, it's it's you know it's almost as big as guns guns and cigarettes at this point. But um, right. yeah. you know, the thing is, is um, it's really difficult when when you grow up feeling always vulnerable to to go sit on a couch and so that's that is a huge move you know and i and i know that 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 took a lot of time it took a lot of courage it and and you know it took a lot of pain you know you have to be in an extreme amount of pain you know emotionally mentally physically to to sometimes reach out and say you know enough is enough and and this just can't go on um How do you, and and so one of the questions I I have on, on the reading that you did, um, you know, it, and, and so it really centered on, you know, a childhood experience of, of being scarred from burns and, and how society received you, how you were treated, how you were, were sometimes ostracized or, or, you know, made to, to feel very different and here, put these socks on and, and all of this sort of stuff. Um how do you think people view you today? How do you think the people in your life receive you today? And, and I bet it's a very differently and it's probably, yeah. probably a result of the growth and change that you've, you know, made in your life. I think it's, I think we absolutely, to a degree determine how, how people treat us and, and view us sometimes. Um, you know, once they have a few minutes to interact, I, I think we definitely can influence. So how do, you think, how do you think people view you today? Well,
0: I can say I had a conversation with my cousin after I wrote the book and I put um, this piece in there. And she, and number one, she apologized and it wasn't her. <laughs> she wasn't the cousin, but she apologized and said, I'm so sorry if I ever treated you any different. But in her eye, she always felt that I was so strong. She always felt that I was so brave and that she never saw the breaking that was happening, happening inside of me. She always felt that um, it took a lot of courage to be able to walk around with my head up high, knowing that I you know it stood out on me and uh, compared to other people. So it was very interesting to your point that a lot of times we have preconceived notions of what people, how people view us, and that's not always the case. Um, as far as on a societal level. It really boiled down to my interpretation um, of what I, again, what I thought people were thinking. So growing up, I would get so defensive when somebody would look um, down at my feet instead of in my eyes when they were talking to me. Oh, my God, I would get so livid. I would be so angry. But as I matured in that space, um, I started, I made a conscious decision to give people the benefit of the doubt. And so making that decision early on in my 20s. I, I just, I had to make a decision to give people the benefit of the doubt. And basically that when I see something different, sometimes I can catch myself staring at it. So maybe they're just staring because they see something different. It's not that they're trying to be rude. It's just a different. And yes, they should have enough courage or, or just, you know, to, to be like a child in a sense and say what happened. Um, but not all the time is that the case. But I had to look at um, those events differently and now um when I go and say I go and get a pedicure which I actually love to do <laughs> um even though I still sometimes have to talk myself up and say you know girl you look so you are fly you better take your uh, beautiful cell phone in there and let them do your toes like I have to talk to myself sometimes <laughs> but when I go in and I see the other women watching and watching the people um taking care with my feet and I see them staring. Now I feel proud because it's an opportunity for me to start a conversation, and um, and just to show them that um, I, I still have confidence and and um, belief in myself despite what what I may look like.
1: You know, and the, the great thing about that is, you know, when when you sit down next to someone and and you're getting their, your nails done, and and they're looking, and and this conversation happens you really might be liberating them as well. You might, you know, the thing is, is, is just like when you were a child and, 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 and this cousin had yeah. this preconceived idea of, you know, she's so strong and she's so powerful and, and invincible and her head is always, you know, up high. And, yeah. and she didn't know that you were dying inside. And, and yeah. so this, this person sitting next to you or this person that you will interact with wherever at in your life, you know, the, 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 the experiences and the stories that you share with them and the you know what you're sharing today, you know, potentially might give them the courage to to face some some things in their lives and overcome them and and, you know, they might even be vulnerable enough to ask a question and say and and tell you their story and their experience and say, Yeah, how do I get help? You know, you were you were talking about um, you know, how it can be easy to, 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 just kind of stare at things or at people or, or whatever. And so I was, I was at Costco, this was a couple, a few several months ago and, um, um, pre pandemic. And, um, there was a, there was a person in a wheelchair and I was just staring and, and just shamelessly staring. And, um, it was to the point where I was almost kind of following them and, um, you know, normally that and, and and it was weird. I'm not going to say it wasn't weird, but normally it would be super weird. But I I too am in a wheelchair, and so it was. I mean, I'm, I'm used to. I go out, and people people will stare. I've had people say things. Um, I've had people, you know, grab my chair and move me, like I was. You know, you know, for someone to to physically move you out of the way, that wow. that 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 is all it takes for them for you to know how they receive you, how they view you. Yeah. And so I was, I was eyeballing this person and, um, and I got caught and I was not ashamed, but, um, I'm that guy, but (laughs) it was, it was so, you know, to me, it was really, I just was ecstatic. You know, the fact that I saw someone in a wheelchair and someone who was really capable. And so this was a, this was a woman a little younger than me and, and she was just zipping around and doing her thing and and had really good upper mobility and i just kind of marveled at the fact that i just i just i think i was enamored with her courage and her ability and i just thought wow you know look at her look at her live and um and so the thing is, is i think it can be i think sometimes you know someone's looking or or someone has this you know if you see that maybe they've got these this mis- these misconceptions. Um, sometimes that's an yeah. opportunity to say, "Hey, what are you thinking when you when you look absolutely. at when you when you see the you know the the burns on my my feet and legs, the color of my skin, my gender, my race, my religion, um, my politics? Yeah. What are you thinking? How do you feel? How does that make you feel?" Yeah. And, and and we need to have those conversations. We we absolutely, absolutely. need to have those conversations. We need to. You know, um, I don't have to agree with with what someone says about me or, or any of these topics, but I, I think it's very important that I hear them. And and once I've heard you, um, then you you can hear me, and and that's how conversation yeah. conversations don't happen unless we we actually yeah. listen. And
0: I think we have to have we have to have a disposition. I think a lot of times the conversation can't happen because of our disposition. We have to have a spirit of meekness. Power under control a, a spirit of um in like in hospitality inviting kind of a presence a lot of times I mean who wants to speak to somebody who who seems so guarded um it takes a lot of courage to speak to people who appear so guarded and so I think also um we have to just carry that disposition of like invite uh inviting disposition so that people feel that it is okay to say, "Can I ask you a question you know or a lot of times when I see children um, looking, I'll definitely say, are you looking at my burns? You want to know what happened? And then I'll just share. So it's an educational moment. But I definitely think even for if we're speaking to an, a grown-up or uh, an adult, that that our I, I just think if it didn't change until I changed, until I changed my attitude about my burns, my own burns, until I changed my thought process on why people would be looking at me. Um, I didn't have an inviting spirit for anybody to say anything positive towards me. You know, I was ready to pummel them. <laughs> right. So so I'm definitely grateful that um God helped me to change that mindset and shift my thinking a bit there. And and there's a, a awesome um story in regards to how that that um change occurred, um, that I, I share in the book.
1: Well, we would love to hear a little bit about that if you're willing to share it. I I, I am curious as to you know, have you, have you always had this relationship with God? Um, if you didn't, huh. when did it come and how did it come? And it doesn't, it yeah. doesn't have to be long or, or, you know, more than you're willing to share, but if you're willing to share, we'd love to no, hear about it. No, not
0: at all. Yeah. So, um, for me, actually, um, I grew up a uh, Buddhist and, um, I grew up a Buddhist. Um, and when I say that it's viewed as Nichiren Daishonin, um, Buddhism and, um, uh, it my grandmother was a buddhist and my aunts and uncles and my mom and from what i can from from when i can remember um i was i was um chanting and um and studying this um Asian religion and so um my mom still is and um i learned a lot of valuable um uh, moral guidances through through that um religion at 19 i decided my own path and different encounters with, with um, some Christians, I decided to look into who this Jesus guy is. And so really at 19 is when I became um, a Christian. And I love that because my name um, is, an, is an Islamic name. So I love the fact that I can say um, I have a I, I grew up a Buddhist. I'm a Christian who grew grew up Buddhist and who has an Islamic name. (laughs) so um, I just feel blessed, um, all over, um, um, just for that type of lineage, but, but yeah, and, and growing, um, or just, um, I guess, um, discovering my, um, own spirituality, um, I had, um, a great godfather who always taught me that it's not about a religion. You can religiously get up and turn and turn your alarm off. You can religiously go to the same coffee shop every day. It's about a relationship. And so for me, my, my um, discovery with God has always been about forming a relationship. That's just what I was taught as soon as I decided to walk with God. So even with no matter what I encountered in my life, and definitely there has been a lot of things, um, I just never stopped praying. Even when I was making bad decisions, bad boyfriend decisions, bad husband decisions, (laughs) um, just, and even when I was on the other side of wrong, when I wronged somebody or I was doing sneaky stuff or shady stuff, however you want to say it, I just never stopped praying. I just never stopped talking to God. He became kind of like my confidant. And he kept a lot of secrets that I had. And I like to say that somewhere down the line, my hurt and his healing glided. So uh, even when I felt like I was missing the mark with him and I felt that I was failing him and I felt that there was no way he could love me and I would say those things to him, he was still reaching out to me. I just didn't know it. And eventually, in my late 40s, we collided. His healing and my hurt collided. And my life just took a completely different turn and to the place where I felt the freedom to be able to talk about all these different things that have happened that I've kept under wraps, that are taboo things, that um, that's where the book, that the title of it comes from the dirt, the things that can bury you if you allow it to, those secrets that we harbor so deep. I finally got to a place where I felt like I'm on the top of a building and I'm screaming it out that my voice matters that i matter my stories matter and the people that have lived similar stories they matter too and that has been such a long journey but it 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 came um it didn't pivot until my hurt and his healing collided
1: that that has to be incredibly liberating and healing and <laughs> and just has to feel amazing to to be yeah. able to just stand up and just shout out and You know, the thing is, is the, the greatest, greatest vulnerability we can have is saying this is who I am and and sharing our stories. Um, you know, that has been, you know, the, the most amazing thing about what I do is I, I get to, I get to meet people and I get to know them and I get to hear these amazing stories. And, um, you know, to me. You know that is the that is the huge benefit of of what i do you know there's there's nothing more amazing than being able to sit down with someone and and just have this really good conversation of who are you and why um
0: absolutely
1: it's it's just unbelievable and so you have you have a second excerpt for us correct
0: yes (laughs) yes so um, I'm a definite believer that God does not waste pain. Took me a long time to believe it, but I but I believe it and so um this um this chapter or uh, this this excerpt um is called Beautifully Flawed and it's from chapter eleven. <clears throat> a little longer, so bear with me. And it starts. Um Sadness has been closer to me than my deepest love and more committed than any dear friend. I do not remember a time when it has not been nearby. From childhood, the cloud of melancholy hovered over me like an umbrella for one. In my youth, I knew not what it was, but began to welcome it as a secret indulgence. Being a young adult, it it remained challenging to adequately expound on what I was feeling. So I acted it out with numerous suicide attempts. In the beginning, I was merely screaming for help and hoping someone would pay attention. Over time, my approach changed to a deep desire to permanently hush the cry inside my heart. On those few occasions, I would confide in someone about my bleak moods. My words would be quickly dismissed with, girl, ain't nothing wrong with you. So I would work to convince myself that there was nothing wrong with me, despite my manic behavior. In 2010, After years of battling the internal persistence to end it all, I started to seriously consider it. I would habitually imagine driving through an intersection at full speed. I pondered it for weeks before noticing just how far off the deep end I was. The thought of my children growing up motherless is what pushed me to find another solution. I remember sitting in my car. Sobbing for God to fix me, pouring out my sorrow on him, pleading for him to take it all away. I had prayed this prayer a million times in a million different ways. But on that day, I heard a response so clear in my mind. Fatima, go to the dang doctor. I sat in my car for a while processing the whole go to the doctor comment. I truly had never considered it before. Somewhere in my belief system, I viewed asking a physician for mental health as admission of being a nut job. But if I'm still being as honest as I was at the top of this discussion, I was acting a bit nut job Okay, all jokes aside, I had long considered admitting the need for mental health a sign of weakness. Sure, you can walk around acting crazy. But dare not tell somebody you are. Reaching out to an actual medical professional seemed like I was giving up on a miracle. I mean, I was looking for a more of a tongue speaking, anointing oil on my forehead, passing out on the floor at the church type of miracle. Not a doctor visit miracle. I know, I know. Talks like that are better off not spoken, but we're keeping it real. So there you go. Weeping uncontrollably i listened to the doctor finally provide a reason for the roller coaster of emotions i experienced regularly clinical depression it was nothing that i had ever heard of before but the medicine to treat it helped my emotions settle for the first time in my life and over time i began to feel more balanced and clear thinking not easily emotionally driven, like before I had started the treatment, and the experience woke me up to the truth that miracles often manifest through the hands of mankind. It was the help I needed for that season in my life.
1: Very nice, and so I have a couple <laughs> of questions um yes. one how how does it feel to you're an author I mean, and so you were you were sitting here having this conversation with me reading from your book and so you're an author. How is how's that feel?
0: This felt cool, but when um when I first got the actual book binder in, um in the house, okay, number one, we saw it on Amazon, me and my kids, we screamed like a bunch of girls. <laughs> it's just a little thing. It was just like, Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. And then when it came, I just, I am I have a nature. Like I say, we all got stuff. I have a nature of being critical spirited. And so I was critical. Oh my God, it's this. Oh my God, it doesn't say this. It doesn't say that. And then when I woke up the next morning, I said, okay, God, I'm just going to read it. I'm just going to, for the first time, enjoy what I wrote. And I sat in my room and I opened it up. And that was the first time I saw my words, my life on paper where I started to read, and after a little bit, I forgot that I had read it, and it was just such an awesome experience to be able to see that my life, not all of it, but there's quite a bit of my life in a book that others can read, and I really, really just, my heart's desire is to be able to speak for those people who have not yet found their voice, and, and to also help people who have relatives like me um, who have issues like me and maybe it'll help them to understand them better. And, um, and also for those, the silent generation, I talk about the silent generation and about how um, a lot of generations or older generations were taught to not speak about certain things and how those behaviors or I like to say generational curses have been, put on to our generation, and then if we're not careful, we'll, we'll put it on, on our kids um, to not speak up, and that's unfortunate, or to not show emotion. And in the most critical times in your life when you need to speak up, you don't feel that you're able to because you shouldn't, because that's the generational expectation. And so I speak to those people, too, with the hope that what I'm sharing and, and the ramifications of not speaking up, how that impacted me with the hopes that it'll change their mindset as well. I have an aunt that reached out and she apologized to me from all the way back and said she wished that she would have been there for me. And um, I felt bad that she felt um, a responsibility because I didn't feel she was responsible, but she felt the need to have to reach out to me and tell me that that she was so sorry for what I experienced and that she she wasn't there for me. And she has since been like, my biggest fan supported me during this endeavor. And so for me, that it was it's those moments that give me so much beyond reading the pages, of the, turning the pages in a book. It's those moments that make me feel like so soothing on the inside to know that when I was so fearful about putting this out, I was afraid of how it would be taken um, to be able to walk through it and see on the other side how it's blessing people. I'm just so grateful to be somebody that God can use.
1: You know, that is, that's one of the things that we learned, you know, this last year was that, um, you know, we, um, we really are responsible for each other. We, um, and so the thing is, is if, is if you see something that's wrong and you know something's going on and, and, you know, you don't speak up, you don't support, you don't champion that, that individual or, um you know, justice in that situation, um, that's not okay. That's not okay. Yeah. Um, do you, do you know who Alice Walker is the author? Uh, Yes. Temple of my familiar, um, color purple.
0: Oh, I'm sorry. What
1: did you say? Um, Alice Walker. She is an author and she wrote the, the books Temple, temple of my familiar and color purple.
0: Yes. Yeah,
1: yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so she she actually is she's my favorite author of all time. Um, her and Maya Angelou. And um, yeah. And so the title of your book, um, the things that that you're writing about, the emotion and the the just the yeah. the vibe of it, and then and then when you started talking about that silent generation. And, and, you know, that's something that I've never really given a lot of thought to and I knew existed. And, you know, um, you know, I know that definitely there are, there is a generation of my family that, that endured. And, and so, you know, a lot of, a lot of history there with a lot of harm, you know, within the family and not a lot of words coming out, a lot of, not, yeah. No one really knows what the damage was or, or any of that, and so there definitely was that silent generation and and, and we you know absolutely yeah. teach our children to to live our existence and and live our way and and I'm so glad that you don't um all of these things though collectively kind of make me you know it puts me in the mindset of of Alice Walker and I appreciate that mm. um
0: Thank you so much
1: and and so another question i have about the reading because you you talked about yeah. god a little bit there and um i wonder was there ever a point where you were angry at god did you ever feel unprotected or unloved by god
0: oh absolutely <laughs> um absolutely um <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah. So, in in the beginning, it was just my thought, my thought life. So, in other words, I was already, I had already adopted, um, or adapted to a thought life. Um, but once I became a Christian, it more so during my my marriage, when I became a Christian and and I sang on, in the choir and I was on the usher board and and I prayed an intercessory prayer and I led worship. I did all this work in the church. I felt a sense of entitlement that I didn't speak of, but I felt like God was supposed to take care of me. So when my marriage fell apart and the, and, um, the results, the things that came out of my marriage was not uh, Christlike at all, I really did feel slighted by God. Um, I did not understand. I had to, I feel like to some degree, I was like Isaac. I had to wrestle with God in that uh, understanding that um, God, why did you allow my marriage to fall apart when you knew I loved you so much and I loved him so much? um high inside is twenty twenty of course, I really feel like I upgraded I have an awesome husband, <laughs> and I love my family, and my husband he's so fine <laughs> but but um, but no, during that time, I really felt like God slighted me. What was the whole point? me doing all this service in the church? What was the whole point of me going to church and marking my Bible and singing all these praise songs if you was going to allow this to happen to me? I felt bamboozled. But somewhere along that line, I had to remember that God is still God and that my ways are not his ways, his thoughts are not my thoughts, and that there is a certain sovereignty that comes with him being named God. So despite me understanding or not understanding, he is still God. And so I shared my heart with him so that he could do his construction. But and I never and my, my godfather always just taught me that about relationship. And so sometimes when you don't agree with something in a relationship with a friend, you discuss it. So I was still able to discuss discuss knowing who he is and that he may not give me the answer today or while I'm on this earth but I have to trust and believe that there is a plan and I didn't see none of that plan. <laughs> you know, right. when I moved on and was, and was a single parent and wasn't getting child support like I was supposed to be getting it. And when I moved on and married my husband and had all these, you know, these kids, I got a host of boys in my house. I still didn't um, quite understand why I had to go through certain other things that's in my past. But, I have been through enough to know that there is purpose to every pain and a lot of times we have to make the choice of what we're going to do with that pain. We cannot choose what our past was. We can't change what the past was. But we do have a personal obligation to make a decision to not allow our past to like define our future. And um, that's one of the points that I lean on when I say I have three baby steps. I believe that you know, we have to have a safe place to fall. We have to change our victim mindset to a victor mindset. We can't, we, we shouldn't self-sabotage ourselves through self-victimization of um, woe is me. Even if we have truly been a victim, there comes a time where we have to take responsibility for our life. And that it's okay to not be okay, but it's definitely not okay to remain in that space. That's a disservice to God us a disservice to ourselves and to our family. And, and so somewhere I had to make a choice that there's got to be a point to this. There's got to be something. I, there is no way I can live my life miserable like this. There's got to be something. And, and now, even if that point was me being able to talk to you today, me being able to let your, your listeners um, hear my story or being able to write the book, all of that is a part of the purpose. It took forever to get to the purpose, but, but look at how God is using it now. So I just really, it's just for me, confirmation to say, God never wastes pain. We may not see that instant answer of why something happened, but He will not waste the pain. We just have to be available to speak on it and share those stories when He prompts us to.
1: Well said, well said. You know, my 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 experience and, and thoughts on on God is you know, we are, you know, if you're, if you're, you know, especially with like Christianity, if you are Christian part of the church, that that's your upbringing, you are, you are very much taught to, to seek God and seek God's forgiveness. And, um, you know, the thing that I, that I have struggled with in my life is, um, you know, I feel like I need to, you know, God, God, you know, God, you know, I need to, um, I need to forgive God, you know. It's not that that you know, just that that I need to seek His forgiveness, but um, yeah. you know, I I have often looked at that and thought, you know, um, you've got some explaining to do, um, right? And I, I really, you know, and yeah. so I, it was really easy for me at a time in my life to to want to have this metaphorical room that I could I could walk into. And, 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 and there's God standing there. And and I tell him, sir, I just need you to sit down for a minute. I got some things I need to tell you about yourself and you've got some explaining to do and and you need to seek my forgiveness because this is incredibly unfair. And I think here's the thing. I think that there are probably a lot of listeners that will listen to that and they will cringe um, because it goes very against tradition and Christian upbringing and what we are taught and what is impressed upon us. But here's the thing. Um however anybody feels about it, it's honest and, and honesty is really important um feelings and, and experiences in life and relationships, all of that is incredibly valid yeah. and um, I think it is okay to say that this is your experience, this is this is how you see something yeah. and and hopefully grow from that and, and, and move beyond it and, and if, if you want the relationship with God, then you, you seek one yeah. and 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 like you said, it very much is a relationship of, of conversation and soul searching and a commitment. Um, all all relationships and friendships should be that way. It should be a give yeah. and take of of you know, um, you know, nobody wants to be in a one sided relationship. It just it just is it just sucks. It's on fun yeah. and it's just you know you feel taken advantage of and and, and so nobody wants that. And so yeah. I have a couple of things before but we close. But he knows
0: it, right? He, he knows it. He knows it anyway. He knows how you feel anyway. You may as well say it.
1: <laughs> exactly. So just, I just want
0: to say it. Just be honest.
1: I want my damn fries. <laughs> yeah. Where are the rest of my Absolutely.
0: fries? You know
1: what I mean? Say it. Get <laughs> right, your fries. Right now. <laughs> get your fries. Get your justice. Tell God about Absolutely. himself. Do what you have to do to, yeah. to get what? where you need to be. You know, if, if, if you want to be where yeah. Miss Fatima Oliver is, then you maybe need to do some of the things she did. I think that is the message here is that, you know, someone can <laughs> listen to, to you today and, and identify with so many things, whether it's circumstance, emotion, vulnerability, courage, fear, the tools you've used, the, the stigma of therapy and overcoming that, building a, a relationship with God reinventing yourself and so these are all things that so many almost i i guarantee you every one of my listeners is is going to they're going to identify with multiple things with you and and so here's the thing if you want what miss fatima oliver has then you might want to consider doing what miss fatima oliver did and and so a couple of quick things before we close um You know, the show is called Never Call Me Again. And, um, <laughs> right. It, it almost sounds like a trap, doesn't it? Hey, do you want to be on Never Call <laughs> Me Again? And, and so people, you know, when I talk to people, they're like, well, what's your show about? And I'm like, really? You haven't listened to the show? You know? And, and so <laughs> it's, a, it's a little offensive if they haven't listened. But here's the thing. And so they're like, oh my God, what the hell is this about? And, and, and so, but then I explain it and they're like, okay. And so, I know that I know that there's going to be so much more to your story, um, and I want to hear about it. And I want to hear more about the book. I want to hear more about what happens um, in the months to come. Would you Would you be willing to be on the show again? Can I call you again sometime?
0: Absolutely, I would love to. Absolutely, awesome. I love a good conversation. One student for the soul. We can do that totally.
1: You know, I'm going to ask somebody that one day, and they're going to be like, "Never call me again," and it's going to be wonderful. Um, <laughs> I, I will. Cu- <laughs> they're going to <be>
0: like ah. <laughs> when they when they
1: do it, I will I will cue my my intro music. There it is. <laughs> and um, it it's yeah, that's wonderful. And and so, thank you so much for being here. One one quick last thing is, I have the option on this podcast that. People can call in and so they can't call in live. Um, I just don't want them interrupting. I think I could set it up to where they could, but I just don't want them interrupting. Um, ask your questions on your own time. But here's the opportunity for people to ask questions. and so if they if anyone's listening and you know they have a question for me, a comment, or yeah. a question for for Fatima Oliver, go down into the show notes there is a tab down there where you can actually leave a voice message for either one of us. And and if someone leaves a voice message for you, I will make certain you get it and and maybe we can discuss it the next time we sit down together.
0: Yeah. I think that would be great. Really.
1: I do too as well. And so Miss Oliver, thank you so much. Congratulations on the good, on the book. Good luck in the future. And um, I look forward to talking to you again soon.
0: Thank you so much, and God bless you. Thank you so much for offering me to come on the show.